As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, the rugby podcast from the Times and Sunday Times that might rotate its squad now and again, but could never be accused of fielding a weakened team or damaging the integrity of competition with the other rugby pods. <laughs> I'm Alex Lowe and I'm joined this week by our first team featuring Lawrence Delalio, the new rugby news hound of the pod, following his revelations last week about England's schedule, by go. Owen Slot the chief rugby correspondent of the Times and we're joined finally by Stephen Jones who's managed to fix his Wi-Fi and who delivered something of a surprise in yesterday's edition of the Sunday Times because it contained the nearest thing I've ever seen to a change of opinion from the great man. He seems to have been won over in a few short weeks by Neil Hatley. More on that to come. <laughs> but good morning gents, how are we all? Very good indeed. Good, thank you. We no, should have had Hatley on this week, the, the, the king, the king. <laughs> So since last week's pod, we've had two whole rounds of Premiership matches and one or two actual contests. We've seen Owen Farrell banned for five weeks. We've had the revelation that Matt Dawson, Phil Tufnell and Sue Barker are to be axed from a question of sport. So for today's opening round, if the BBC are to extend their tradition of having a rugby player as team captain after Bill Beaumont and Matt Dawson, who should they call upon? Well, I think we want someone who's really famous for being witty, brightening a light occasion, just like Matt Dawson, one of the funniest guys I've ever known in rugby. <laughs> and, and also someone, someone that I don't think we, we see enough in the game these days. So, so, so my choice for jester of the week and future question sport captain would be the one and only Martin Johnson. I don't see enough of him. He's hilarious, full of fun. We need him back. I think it's a great idea, Slotty. Either him, I'd say uh, Martin... I think Martin Johnson would be good. I think you'd offer it to him. Obviously, Neil Hatley would be uh, a strong contender as well. <laughs> oh, seriously, I think he had a lot to offer, uh, especially in the, uh, the one-minute round. So, um, Martin Johnson's a great one. I think that's a yeah, but I think thing. It doesn't the show air at 7.30? I mean, Martin Johnson surely has to be past the watershed at 9.30. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, can't, you can't let young children see anything like that until at least 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I think well, if, mate, jo- if Jono was on, then the other team might as well not turn up. He, he knows more about sports trivia than anyone I've ever met. This is how old I am, and my first appearance on Question Sport, Ian Botham and Bill Beaumont were the captains. <laughs> I flew up to Manchester, terrified um, of, uh, of meeting everyone. Uh, we filmed th- uh, they filmed three shows, and I was on the third show. Uh, my flight was cancelled, and my, my consolation prize was I had to go out for a curry with Ian Botham and Bill Beaumont. And uh, as you can imagine, that was some baptism of fire, but let me tell you... <laughs> How many days later did that session finish? <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't, get, I didn't get back from Manchester for about a week. <laughs> well, Jones, if you missed it that much, we're going to play for this week only our own mystery guest round. Okay. So first clue, and I, well, I'll drop clues through the pod. First one, he once had an advertising deal with a brand of cocoa butter. Keep that in mind. On to the rugby, I suppose. So since we last spoke this last Monday, we, we've had some movement at the top of the premiership. Exeter, surprise, surprise, confirmed their place in the playoffs. 
and behind them, the Wasps, Bath, Sale and Bristol are chasing three spots separated by just two points with two rounds left. I guess on, on the surface, it's a sort of thrilling climax of the regular season. But for those of us who've been at the matches, they've lacked a competitiveness. There's squad rotations and European commitments have, have had a real impact. I was at Wasps twice last week and saw them put 50 points on two second teams. I think Slotty and Lawrence, we both at Saracens. Exeter, which yes. could have been a contest between the two best teams in the, in the league, but ended up being more like an A-league game. We've got European games coming up, so there are other distractions and, and, and obviously the, the rotation commitments that teams have had to make, but it, it is having an impact on the league, isn't it? So, sorry, I, I'm, just, I'm not concentrating. I'm just Googling rugby player and cocoa butter, so um, can you come back to me in <laughs> half a minute? No cheating, Slotty. You get ejected. I dread to think what comes up when you Google that, but there we go. <laughs> I, I couldn't find your name anywhere, Lawrence. Oh, I was a bit yeah. disappointed. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we talk about the integrity of, of, of the game of rugby. I mean, the reason why we, we, we're playing the remainder of last season now is to try and maintain the integrity of the competition because uh, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, and I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's a great thing that they've been challenged to try and do. You know, if, if the competition had had just been suspended outright with uh, Saracens being relegated, particularly in light of what had happened previously with the salary cap breach, etc., etc. I think uh, it, it would have left a, a bad feeling and a bitter, a bitter taste in the mouth. Now, obviously, the challenge is that by suspending the tournament, you know, it would have created an issue around integrity. But clearly, by continuing the tournament, it's also creating uh, an argument around the integrity because we're seeing so many uh, one-sided contests. And, it, and it's a a devil's job being a director of rugby right now. But I'm, I'm one of these people that, that is, you know, whilst it's, it's demoralising sometimes to almost be able to predict the scoreline before the ball's even been kicked, what we are seeing is a number of players and, a, and, a, and the next generation of players that simply wouldn't have had the opportunities that they're being afforded right now. So, you know, for them to, to pull on their club shirts, play in the premiership, these are... These are young rising stars that hopefully we will be talking about for many, many years to come, not just for club, but for countries as well. And so I think there is some nuggets in there. That, and I've been really impressed with, uh, with all the clubs, really, in different ways, bar maybe London Irish and possibly until yesterday, Leicester. What do you think, Jonesy? I mean, I think there were 327 I, I, points scored in five games over the weekend, an average yeah. of 65 per match. Are you happy with that? No, no, of course not. And I think, you know, when you see that Wasps, um, uh, that game had 90-odd points, well, that, that sounds like more of a, it does sound more like of a basketball. And actually, in my opinion, a warning against, you know, let's, not, let's not think that to play rugby in throughout the summer is the answer to all the ills, because you do lose a lot of it. I have to say that I've enjoyed seeing the new generation come through, especially when there's been proper contests. I I don't know what Wasps uh, would have learned yesterday, but I do think a new generation's come through. I think that at least it's got rugby back on TV. I do agree with you, though, Alex. It's, it's, I'm 50-50 about it because it's not all bad. And uh, like I say, the new generation's come through. The only problem is, no, we've got an exciting battle for the top four. Uh, and for Europe. But again, we're still not quite sure which clubs have, have got top players available and which have already paid their quota. So it's very difficult. I have to say I'm ambivalent, or rather I, I can see it both ways. Can I just chip in with something sensible? Back in May and June, we were all talking about how much money the clubs were going to be losing because they couldn't stage any games. That conversation's going to come back because 
they they can't get can't get any fans in. So the least they could do was play games and get the income from TV. So it, it's not ideal. There have been mismatches, and uh, it does put a, place a question on the integrity of the competition. But this is better than nothing. Rugby players on TV, which people like to watch, and they're earning they're, they're earning money and bringing income into their clubs. I mean, without these games, uh, these clubs would be in absolute dire circumstances. So. So I think it's a valid conversation to question the integrity of it. But we've got to remember that if it's not there at all, then the clubs aren't there either. Yeah, and look, by, by and large, I think the product is, given that rugby is a game that is largely based on emotion, and without the crowds, there's a lot of that emotion taken out of the sport. And, uh, you know, it's not easy preparing for a, a game like rugby without, without, the, uh, without people watching. You know, I, I think the... Uh, you know, what, what's been served up has, has been fantastic. I, and, I, you know, given the, the problems that all the clubs are going through and, you know, with teams changing on a, on, a, on a weekly basis, and I think with the application of the new interpretations of the laws, I mean, I, the speed of the breakdown has been a revelation. I think whether it's to do with Saracens being relegated already or the imminent threat of ring fencing, I think the, the shackles seem to be off in terms of... Um, you know, all the clubs are having a real go. I think we've seen probably more away victories in the Premiership than we've ever seen statistically because of, you know, not necessarily having a home advantage. And, you know, is the number of tries being scored just because of the, you know, weakened teams or is it because teams are having a real go and, uh, you know, guys are playing with no fear and, and, and being prepared to really throw the ball around and the breakdown is... Uh, is pretty quick and pretty dynamic. So I think it's a mixture of all of that. It's quite exciting for the future, I think. Alex, I'm just thinking that uh, uh, I do agree with you in your piece in the Times this morning about it just felt very odd to have 90 points, but amazing, well, perhaps remarkably, I think I think the two teams that would be feeling worse about themselves this, this weekend would be two who's, who, who fielded very close to their strongest teams, and that was Sale, who really would have been bitterly disappointed and also Northampton, who, who fielded a much stronger uh, and more convincing team than did Leicester, but didn't play very well at all. So it's rather ironic that those two teams almost were at strength and, uh, and feel worse about them than any of the others. On the subject of um, how much we've enjoyed seeing this new generation, who, who have you all particularly enjoyed watching? For me, the, the Willis brothers. I, mean, I, know, I know we knew of Jack Willis before his injury, but seeing the two of them in, in tandem and just the impact they've made, as Lawrence said, in, in, in taking advantage of, of, the, of the new laws, they, yeah, the, the game's almost moved towards them a bit. You also it, saw Alfie Barbary, didn't you? you saw, I also that, saw that was Alfie. quite something. He's a real... And we've, there have been people in the, in the age-grade game talking about him for a couple of years. I guess he hit the headlines with a red card in the Junior World Cup last year. But he played bat row for Wasps against Leicester. When he, you know, as a, he's, he is a hooker. But uh, Lee Blackett said, oh, he's got, he's got all the skills to play bat row. He said that uh, before the game. And then in the game, he scored a hat-trick, created another with an offload through a couple of show-and-goes. And he's a powerful unit. So yeah, actually, yeah, the Wasps bat row, the new generation of bat rows at Wasps, I guess, would be the, the ones I'd pick out. Yeah, I mean, I think from, from my own point of view, maybe not someone that, that wasn't exactly on the radar, but the performances of, of Ben Spencer at Bath, finally because Bath have realised that to win anything you need a you, you, need, you need quality halfbacks, but but secondly because it just shows that when when a player is taken out of a, a high performance environment like Saracens, which is has been wonderful and probably 
has taught him an awful lot, but actually given the opportunities to be a much bigger fish, you know, in, in terms of his leadership and decision-making. I mean, I think that's probably the move of the season for him, really, in terms of, uh, of what he's brought to that game, because everything he's done from the very first moment, Bath are the red-hot team of the rugby's restart. You know, Wasps were, were flying, but Bath are, are even better. And, uh, you know, that for me at the weekend was the statement victory since rugby's restarted. To go up to Sale, given everything that's happened, um, and do what they did and, and come away with a, with a, with a bonus point. And for anyone who hasn't watched the game, you know, the performance of Spencer in particular uh, was right at the heart of that. So he, for me, has been, uh, you know, the one player. And, and, and I'd include someone like Ezekwe as well, going to Northampton. I think these, this is the sort of thing that New Zealand rugby have been doing for years. You know, take one player out of an environment where he sat on the bench uh, and stick him in, in an environment where he's able to be a leader and uh, the big benefactors are the national team. And I'm sure Eddie Jones is delighted with uh, how many young players are really coming through, not just emerging, but also from a leadership point of view. And the one other I'd add is, the, uh, is Lewis Rees-Zamet as well, who obviously we knew about, but you know, him and Thorley for Gloucester, when they can eventually um, get a forward pack that can really compete with the big guns, you know, they're going to be some team. So Jonesy, Lawrence brought up Ben Spencer and, and Bath. We should probably come to you on Bath as, as the new as their new biggest fan. We should just maybe recap when Neil Hatley got the job. You weren't overly impressed about it. You on this pod we discussed it. You were you scoffed at the idea that he might be able to step up. That was when my Wi-Fi wasn't working properly. I think. Ah, oh, um, okay. So, do we only hear every, one out of every two some words? Of the words you heard were not what I said here. Oh. So uh, be careful with that because my lawyers are listening. Actually, I, I, I'm, my memory's gone. As a veteran correspondent, I can't even remember saying that, but there we are. Um, no, I've always thought he had a massive hidden talent, um, <laughs> which was suppressed when he was in the you know, 1001 scrums. Uh, but I, I have to say what, what Neil said himself uh, is what Lawrence said. Ben Spencer has not only completely transformed the team, I think he's transformed Reese Priestland as well. Because t- at the end of last season, they didn't look like they wanted to keep him. This year, he's been... This season's been absolutely majestic. I'll just add one more player who's not a new player, but he's a massive revival player this year. I've been incredibly impressed with Fekitoa, who was going to be one of the great All Blacks and never quite happened like that. It looks to me as if he, someone's turned him on and switched him on, and he has become an absolute titan in midfield. So, again, someone else from the fringes who's now really playing well. Yeah. But also, I think you could, you know, I mean, we, we've highlighted a few. We've probably leaned a little bit more on the, on the form teams, Bath and Wasp. But I reckon if you looked at every squad, I think there's probably two or three players that, that all of our listeners and all of us could pick out and say they've been absolutely outstanding. And, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. You know, maybe it's a few players that wouldn't have had the, the, the chance to shine as well. But I think, you know, you, you could say that right across the board, couldn't you? Can I uh, mention Gloucester Scrum Halves? So Gloucester have, have an incredible um, recent record of producing outstanding Scrum Halves and then losing them. They had uh, Harry Randall. They had Ben Velicott. And did they have, did, they, did Dan Robson come from there as well? Yeah, they, yeah. So, so, so why don't we, and and their, their latest, who I've seen a couple of times, is this um, nineteen-year-old Stephen Varney. He's, he's only been on on for bits and pieces, but he looks really, really lively. He's got a bit of Welsh and a bit of Italian in him, as well as some English. So everyone will want um, wants to grab hold of him. And um, if he keeps on going, then there's absolutely no doubt that Gloucester will have sold him within a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, clue number two in our mystery guest round. He made his test debut on the wing against Scotland. 
All right. European rugby's back. Leinster Saracens, Exeter Northampton this weekend in the quarterfinals. Uh, let's start in Dublin. We will talk about mismatches in the Premiership. Leinster won the Pro 14 over the weekend, resting Johnny Sexton with this game in mind. Owen Farrell won't be there, as we know, banned for five weeks for dangerous tackle against Wasps last week. What are your thoughts on what should be, or, or certainly would have been, had Saracens been at an absolute full strength, a humdinger of a of a contest at the Aviva, will it still be? No, I don't think because, so. Why not, Jonesy? Well, well, first of all, we don't know. It's gone very. They've gone very, very quiet on Mako Vunipola and even more quiet on Richard Wigglesworth because they really don't have uh, any cover there whatsoever, in my opinion. Yeah, Mark, Mark, McCall, Mark McCall was confident that both players would be fit enough to play when, when I asked him at Saracens yesterday. But yes, there, there is an injury doubt over both of them, for sure. There was a time when um, Wigglesworth said when he was injured that uh, that could be his last game for the club. So, that I mean, look, first start, it, it's not great for the... Uh, I didn't think it was great that Sexton missed that game because it doesn't say an awful lot about the whole league. Although probably they do think that Europe is more important to them. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think that the, the, the big tie... Uh, in the round is not at uh, at, at Leinster and uh, we're an excellent side and, and Saracens, I really don't. I think Saracens would probably give it everything, but I don't think they're anything remotely in shape to to, to win that game. Alex Anderson, who we interviewed after the, uh, the win yesterday against Exeter, was saying that obviously they're massive, massive underdogs for the fixture, but he has one or two things. They think they've got one or two things up their sleeves. I mean, I think it was a difficult assignment with Owen Farrell playing, but actually it looks like Alex Good will start at 10 with young Vunapola on the bench, maybe. So it's going to be tough. I mean, what one doesn't quite know. I mean, Leinster, we, we should probably applaud them for just the way that they go about their business and the job that Leo Cullen has done uh, at Leinster in terms of them winning pretty much everything. Let's not forget this is a repeat of last year's final. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. But you do feel that um, the only hope that Saracens have got, if, you, you know, if, if I can call it that, not the only hope, but one of the hopes is that Leinster maybe are a little bit undercooked because the quality of the opposition they've had in the Pro 14, notwithstanding, you know, Ulster, has, has been pretty pitiful, really. And, uh, you know, when you look at that Saracens team on paper, even without Owen Farrell, it's still at their best. It's, it's a pretty mega team. If they were going there with a packed Aviva Stadium, I would say that the odds are stacked very much in Leinster's favour. The fact that there will only be about two or three hundred of us watching, I do think neutralises the fixture for me. And I do think Saracens have, a, have an outside chance for sure. Can they do it without Farrell uh, away to, to Leinster? I don't think they will, but they have, they've been very, very specific, almost surprisingly so, that they're really all they're caring about in restarted rugby is this game. It's, it's the one they've targeted from the start. Every single match they've played so far has been a process of build-up towards this, towards this game at, uh, at Leinster. So I, I, just, I think Saracens always have so much in them. And they've got and they've got so much motivation in about this game because they care about it so much because it's all they're fighting for. I think it's going to be. I don't. I'm, I'm expecting something. I'm expecting something special. I'm expecting that. I, I suspect that they'll lose, but I just think that they'll have. I think they'll have one hell of a lot and and, and give it one hell of a go. And what, what Sunday's game? At, is that there's a danger that Northampton could go to Exeter and get absolutely thumped? Isn't there? I mean, Exeter are focusing on Europe in a way they haven't before. And Northampton have, have just collapsed since, since restart. Well, I don't, I don't think it's a danger, Arthur. I think it's, um, it, it's a distinct possibility because, uh, you know, you can build a case for Northampton to, to, you know, in a one-off game to upset the odds, particularly when they, 
when they put their, their strongest 15 out on the pitch. But when you look at what Exeter have done over, the, over this season and, and for the last couple of years, Exeter are, are just head and shoulders playing the best rugby in terms of statistically, you've got to get the ball off them for a start. In terms of metres, offloads, you know, breaks, everything about the way that they're playing at the moment is just very seamless. And it doesn't matter who they pick, um, they're able to slot in. You, know, you could argue that their second 15 or their second selection is um, probably the, the fifth best team in the Premiership right now. And their, their best team has been head and shoulders. They've only lost four times this season, or five times now, actually, sorry, uh, after losing to Saracen. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I can't see anything other than, what was it, 47-7 the last time they played at Sandy Park? Yeah, poor old Chris Boyd is scratching his head, just wondering how he's going to construct a game plan that's going to cope with whatever extra throw them. He's not the most um, volcanic character anyway, uh, Chris Boyd, but yesterday he looked really down in the dumps. And when they said, look, uh, Chris, you've got, uh, he was asked on TV, you've got this great chance next week. He, he, he sort of he went even more gloomy and grumpy. And uh, Northampton, I just don't see where the leadership's coming from. I don't, think, I don't see where they can hurt Exeter. I thought Northampton had some, created some chances yesterday and really blew them by almost schoolboy backplay. You know, I mean, a good rugby league team, uh, good at taking chances, could have scored five or six tries. They're very, very poor. And uh, as, as Lawrence says, I mean, I mean to be honest, if, you are, if, you, if I was a Northampton fan, you offered me a 40-point defeat now, I might take it. At the start of, re- of Restart, on this podcast, we discussed who we thought was going to make top four. One member of this podcast quite confidently predicted that Northampton were going to be up there. At this point, I'll declare that was me. I cannot. <laughs> I, I, I am absolutely astonished by how far backwards they've gone. I thought they looked like they were the team coming through. I, I, I don't understand what's happened to them. And, and the significant thing, more significant, is that Chris Boyd doesn't get it either, does he? Well, they, I'll tell you what happened to them. They sold Cobras Reinach. One player doesn't make a team. But in the case of Northampton, he, he did. And, and obviously, Chris Boyd can't say that because... He's got young Alex Mitchell and, and one or two other players who are definitely going to be quality players in the future. But Kobus Reinhardt was their leading try scorer with seven before he left. And, um, you know, he was just involved in everything that they did. So, you know, without him, they don't have the tempo, you know, and they haven't quite been able to replace him in the same way as Exeter have been able to replace Nick White because probably the, the, the amount of of quality players that they have around. So I think, you know, that, that's been the big issue for them. And I have to say that... It, you know, Chris Boyd will probably reflect on rugby's restart and that opening game against Wasps and his decision to split his his squad in half and, and not pick all his, his frontline players together, I think has somewhat backfired on him, really, because what they won one game out of um, out of six or seven. I can see why, Jonesy, he'd be worried about this game, you know, looking on it with doom, because the first half of the season, outside Reinach, they had Bigger, who was in commanding form, and they had a load of young players... Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was all clicking for them. And I, I saw them at Harlequins. Furbank was, was all at sea. That phrase was used to describe his performance again yesterday. At, he was at, all at sea. At, at, at yeah. Leicester. And you just think they've got to, they've got to counter what uh, Exeter do. They've got to get the ball off. And, they've got to, and as you said, they've got to threaten them. And at the moment, you, you can't see how they can, they can cause any damage. And also, they, they, you know, everything's stacked in, in Exeter's favour at the moment. You know, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that they could conceivably, I mean, Leinster and Toulouse would, would, would argue with this. There's some, there's some mighty teams left in the competition. But, you know, having never qualified for the, well, having qualified only once for the latter stages, you know, I could see Exeter going all the way because if they beat Northampton, they, they remain at Sandy Park for the semi-final. And, um, you know, you, you wouldn't bet against them with the quality of squad that they've got 
to go all the way to the final. Um, and uh, if they win that, I mean, sorry, if they, if they get to the final, I'm assuming that's played uh, in, at Exeter as well. Yeah, in, in England, I think. In England. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I, 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 you know, in the same way as we talked about Leinster and Saracens as being these sort of super clubs that are capable of doing the double, I, I can really see Exeter, if, the way that they're playing at the moment, I can see them doing the double this year. You know, the, the other two quarterfinals this weekend coming up, Claremont at home to Racing and Toulouse home to Ulster. It looks, it looks a tough fixture for Ulster to go from losing the, the Pro 14 final one weekend to Toulouse away the next weekend. And then that, that all-French game on, on Saturday, Claremont Racing could be, um, could be a great one. Claremont is the game where you really love to be with a crowd mm. because yeah. we all know it's just absolutely fantastic there, especially against a, a really a pedigree team like Racing. Claremont have had some very, very odd results this year by their standards. Uh, lost at home. Um, they are a great European team, or rather, they're on the fringes of being always of being a great European team. I think that'll be a tremendous match, but it'll be one of those days where you particularly keenly feel the lack of fans because it is a sensational place, still a sensational game, but it may not be a sensational occasion. Other, I don't, I don't know if anyone's caught any of the um, of the top fourteen, but um, some of the stuff that Toulouse have been playing, even in defeat, oh, yeah. uh, has been. Uh, out of this world, really, from a, from a different planet and a uh, very stark contrast to some of the stuff that Ulster have played. So, uh, you know, it, that's a tough assignment, I think. If you were going on predictions, what, what are we saying? Well, what am I saying? Leinster, Exeter, I'm going to back Racing to, to, to beat Claremont without the crowd and I would back Toulouse, obviously, to beat Ulster. So uh, that's, uh, that, that's a pretty tasty uh, semi-final lineup. Does anyone else disagree? No, I don't. I, I, Ulster are funny because they were really out of it against Edinburgh and Edinburgh criminally allowed them to come back in. They, they, they couldn't even force Johnny Sexton to play on Saturday and now they're away at Toulouse. So the way things are going, they got to fall flat one day. Toulouse can still be notoriously profligate, but you really, you really hope they turn it on because a European Cup with Toulouse back up there is, is, is galvanised and it feels like a European Cup if Toulouse are in it. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
Right, mystery guest, clue number three. He scored 70 points in 101 tests. He what scored on? 70 points in every 101 test he played. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you've never heard of him. So, so I guess sticking with France, the French clubs are, are suing World Rugby over its decision to extend Regulation 9 this autumn in order to play this, this new Autumn Nations Cup. Steve, you expressed some pretty strong views on that in Sunday's paper. But Owen, you, you reported on the lawsuit exclusively in Friday's Times. So maybe you should, we should start with you. What's the, what's the detail of it? As it was reported exclusively in the Times on um, Friday, not, not in any other papers, uh, as was suggested in the Sunday Times yesterday. Yeah, the, the, the French clubs have had enough of, um, of, of letting their players go. And um, so they've challenged regu- Regulation 9, which is the World Rugby's regulation, which says when we click our fingers, anyone picked to play international rugby has to play. And the French clubs think, think that that is uh, anti-competitive business-wise, and they've effectively had enough. It's the old club v country. Who owns the players? For decades now, we've had clubs um, moaning about it, but now we've finally had a legal challenge and... I don't know, it's potentially huge because it challenges World Rugby's authority. I think, um, I don't know, we'll see where it goes, but, um, but, but it's, a, it's a massive strike against, uh, against the world governing body. And Premiership Rugby have stood alongside the French clubs all the way through this row with World Rugby. Are they, I don't, they're not signatory to this lawsuit, presumably, but do they stand alongside the French clubs? Do you know, are they in, in, in taking this challenge to World Rugby? They're loving the sight of, of what the French clubs are doing and they would be encouraging them along the way because they've had enough of losing their own players. So they're, they're sort of uh, willful bystanders, um, but they are talking to the French clubs a lot. They're in the process of, of um, constructing a kind of political union with them called the, the Rugby Clubs Association. That's in, 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 uh, in gestation period at the moment. So they're, um, they're quite enjoying all this. Jonesy, what was your take on it just re- you wrote about it in the in the paper on well, sunday well my you... take on it was first that the, the, the late great Vernon Pugh said about 20 years ago he said i can never understand why they don't challenge regulation nine because it would fall over secondly the re- what's pushed them to the edges that they've they've the the i up they will rugby have created their own extra window which is rubbish. You can't. You just can't do that. Otherwise, what's the point of having Regulation Nine or Windows? Because you can say, well, there's no, there's no re- Regulation Nine here, so we'll we'll bring in a window, so Regulation Nine then applies. Absolute rubbish. And secondly, the clubs were told, not promised, but they were advised that the the unions uh, would consider making it work both ways. Therefore. When in a in a window, a proper window, they could not arrange games outside the window, and both, they, they've fallen down on both. They're arranging games outside the window, and they're creating their own windows, and that's what took them over the edge at last. And I think the English clubs should come out publicly rather than do what they normally do and hide behind a media barrier. I would agree with that completely. I, I, just to, I guess, to, to argue the point, Jonesy, if. The Premiership clubs want to carry on receiving tens of millions of pounds a year from the RFU. Could the RFU not argue that they need to stage England matches in order to raise the funds, you know, a large section of which gets diverted into the professional rugby stream? Well, I mean, they stage matches with professional players raised by the clubs and employed by the club. So I don't see any big deal with them handing over millions of pounds. Uh, I think it's, the, it's what's due to the clubs. It's as simple as that. But the RFU need to 
stage these matches in order to raise those millions of pounds, don't they? Well, so everybody, if the RFU have a huge loss, every everyone should be punished except the RFU. Well, that is what's going to happen because the the Leicester chief exec was saying that they're going to they reckon they'll have sixty percent drop in central funding next year. Well, that doesn't affect the fact that they're employed by the clubs and the clubs. When you think that Owen Farrell plays one game in every three for Saracens, that is just not good enough. It's a row, but it, it, it's also a a, um, a political move to try and influence what's what's coming along further down the line. So, as we know, the the, the next thing. Um, once once we've gone through the, the, the current sort of congested situation, the next thing is the, is the, the the long-term global calendar and what international games are played and when. And the, the clubs are the clubs are just fed up, and I think rightly so, with the fact that these decisions are made without them having sufficient input. Because they, they don't want this Autumn Nations Cup to be a template for a few, for a new global season, which will force them to move their club season and for an annual sort of global championship to be played in a bigger autumn window. Is that right? Yeah. The Global Season Planning Committee of World Rugby want to play um, internationals across October and November. Uh, and in short, the clubs think that that's, uh, that, that would um, just uh, kill them financially because those are uh, two big months for them. So that's really what the fight is over. Mystery guest, clue number four. His father was an international rugby player. Are we being really stupid on this? I mean, is everyone... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I've got a pretty good idea. I know the answer based on the last, the last clue you gave me. But um, are, we, are we supposed to jump in or are we supposed to wait till the end? Jump in. I prefer if you wait till the end, but oh, jump sorry. in if you want to. <laughs> All I would no, say... Jump in, jump in. Clue number five is, I think he played his 250th game on the fixture weekend just gone. Spot on, Lawrence. That is exactly what clue number five says. <laughs> Sure, I'm pretty sure it's Ben Youngs. It is uh, Ben Youngs. Because I, thought you said he pl- I thought you said he played 101 games. And I don't he know played for the Lions, isn't he? Yeah, he's played two for the Lions. Two for the Lions, yeah. That was very oh, misleading good one. question. Good one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lawrence, you've completely he, he, ruined the end to this podcast well, now. He's actually, he's actually our, well, my god of the week, because anyone who plays 250 premiership games is, uh, is a good man in, in, in my book, but... What, the question, even if they have a cocoa butter commercial? The question, <laughs> the question is, with uh, Ben Spencer playing regally for uh, Bath and Dan Robson playing the best rugby of his career for Wasps, you know, will our God of the Week and our uh, cocoa butter king, will he, will, he, will, he make, will he make it into the England squad? Lawrence um, not only guessed who it was, but he guessed the clue. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so this yeah, whole podcast was designed to reach a big climax where we could announce Ben Youngs as God of the Week, and Lawrence, because he's the news hound that he is, has bloody revealed the, the answer before we got there. Once you guess who he is, you can make up your own clue, can't you? <laughs> Lawrence, have you got any more scoops for us this week? Well, no, not yet. But, um... <laughs> the only other thing I was going to mention, just which was an interesting revelation over the weekend, Amazon Prime Channel Four are going to show that Autumn Nations Cup. But the England pay deal, where the players have accepted a 25% pay cut, which, which had been trailed, can also contains um, some pretty significant concessions from the RFU over access to the players. Eddie Jones is going to have to give up the, no, the New Year training camp with the players when he normally puts them through fitness tests. He's going to have to release the players from camp for a week after the Italy game this autumn, the, the Six Nations decider, and for one of the two fallow weeks in next year's Six Nations, when normally he would keep them in camp, use those weeks for, for tough sessions and, and fitness work. The players made a point of, 
of negotiating that as part of this new one-year deal. And it just struck me that after what Dylan Hartley said to you, Slotty, on this pod um, the other week, and, and what he's written about in his book, about how relentless and intense life in the England camp is, it seemed notable that Jamie George's name was, uh, he was quoted in the release, press release, saying that the players wanted to almost take hold of it and actually and, uh, you know, make life slightly easier for themselves and, and, and have a break away from the England camp. What did you make of it? I think it's terrific. I'm I'm really really pleased that the, the uh, players have negotiated this. All this talk about how, how are we we believe in welfare and uh, and that um, this is actually a, a statement that that uh, that backs that up. I'm just wondering just what the state of mind of our dear old Eddie Jones is because he must be absolutely livid. I mean, you guys will know this, but the, you know, credit the England players for brokering a deal like that. There's never a better time to get concessions in terms of time off and training when you're being asked to take a pay cut. But is this something that they've been driving themselves as a senior playing group, the Owen Farrells, the, the Jamie Georges of this world? Or, or is it because, you know, I'm interested to know what, what, if any, role the players have played versus the RPA, because clearly the RPA led by Damien Hopley are a wonderful body that look after all rugby players, but they're ability to, to really drive the deal for the England players is somewhat compromised by the fact that they're financed by the RFU uh, and Premier Rugby. So whether the players have had to just maybe just take a little bit more of a lead role themselves in these negotiations, which is no bad thing, and there's no slight on, on Damien, but there's only so much that he can push for. I mean, let's not forget that their original match fee was negotiated by the RPA, and that's just gone up and up and up. And it's well, well above any other union in the world, I think. I don't know. I mean, you, Alex, you'll know how much yeah. they were on £25,000 a game, were they? Yes. Yeah. And that, that'll come down and by that, and that that is, slightly, un, slightly under that. That right? is significantly the highest international rugby union match yeah. of any in the world. They've taken a pay cut, which is, uh, which is I guess, a, uh, a recognition of the times. But they've done so by, by getting some, um, you know, some compromise themselves. So, so fair play to them for... Uh, so, in answer to your question, Lawrence, I'll just read you what Jamie George was quoted as saying in the press release, which I think is quite quite a notable thing. He said, the playing group wanted to address some concerns around welfare and rest for the England uh, elite player squad. We're encouraged by the progress made by all stakeholders. We fully understand the pressures around the next 12 months, both on and off the field. So it was vital for us to agree these provisions going forward. Now, this is a one-year deal. Um, the RPA understandably didn't want to sign up a four-year deal based on the RFU's current financial position. But Jamie George is suggesting pretty strongly there that this isn't a one-year arrangement on the player welfare front. That, that, you know, that it just feels like the players, you know, maybe a bit later than Dylan Hartley wanted, when he, wanted he felt they should have taken action during lockdown. But I don't know, it just feels to me this is a step towards yeah. the players getting mm-hmm. hold of the situation and just saying, hang on, we can't, we can't be on call 52 weeks a year being you know, being flogged and, and um, as hard as we have been, particularly at the moment. I think, Eddie, I think it's a great thing for the players. Eddie can rant and rave, but it, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm glad they've taken charge. And the idea that they miss one sort of brutal fitness testing session and then they have two nice fallow weeks instead of three or four sessions per week. I am absolutely fascinated to see if they look better, not worse, because I've got, I've got a strongest impression they'll come out fresher and better without with their heads not full of uh, 
tons and tons of stuff and i think it'll improve them not cost them so it's not it's not a comparable situation but joe launchbury was saying after yesterday's game that wasps have done no training between their two matches this week we know they're against weakened teams and such like but he said they've they just they had a walk a one-hour walk through they did no training and they went out and played and you know they did all they could it wasn't their fault that the bristol brought a, a second third team wasps did what they could but they went out and played their, their heads weren't full of yeah, pre-programmed exactly. stuff and they weren't battered and bruised any more than than the short turnaround allowed. they hadn't played and then and then smashed each other in training so i think that's an interesting point it'll be interesting to see how they how, how they emerge from those weeks off yeah, right so we've decided that martin johnson has to be on the question of sport panel as team captain and lawrence has exclusively revealed that ben young's should be God of the Week this week, ahead of time, as, as is now his usual way. Does, does, does anyone have any other recommendations for God or Goddess of the Week? Well, I've got one from Bath I've been considering, but... Um, uh, Who's that, Jonesy? A well-known coach. No, uh, I, I thought yesterday, what a great lad he's been, and through thick and thin, and I cannot think of a better person to be my God of the Week than Ben Young's. I've got, uh, I think, I think a, a quite conclusively a better suggestion... Clearly, the game of the uh, of uh, of post restart is uh, Leinster Saracens this weekend, and um, uh, disappointingly for everyone, they weren't going to allow any of the media from England to go and watch it. So, um, as we all know, if we can't watch it, then it doesn't really exist. It doesn't really count. So, my God of the week is the person at the R at the IRFU. I've never don't, I don't think I've ever complimented an administrator before, but someone at the IRFU has persuaded the Irish government to let eight English journalists into the game. And um, that, is a, that is a godlike act. And I'm very <laughs> grateful because I'm now going to be in Dublin at the weekend. And so the God of the Week is someone I've never not heard of, don't know his name, but thank you very much. They, they may not let you back out again. That's the only problem. <laughs> <laughs> don't go up for dinner with Bill Beaumont and me and both of them. Otherwise you'll never get out. <laughs> Gents, great fun. Thank you very much. This has been The Ruck. Please subscribe and give us a review. Uh, We're available on all the usual podcast providers. And we'll be back next week to review a pretty tasty weekend in Europe. Talk to you then. Thank you. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.